Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are not financial advisors. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guest is not formal advice or a recommendation. Now please enjoy this episode. All right, we're ready to roll today. The Sunday show, hopefully at this point, the election is done. Uh, At least if you're in the United States here and can focus back on your uh, normal life uh, because we're talking another company today and is Encino. How are you feeling about them, Ryan? Uh, How am I feeling about Encino? Yeah. I like them. It's a good business. Um, Valuation's a little here and there, but I'll just get into what they do. Encino provides a cloud-based bank operating system, so... Encino's goal is really to streamline all customer and employee interactions through their operating system. So they tout the transparency that the platform creates for all sides. So customer, the bank, third parties, they all get access to the same information through this cloud-based platform. And they have basically three primary components to the business. So the Encino applications, which is client onboarding, loan origination, deposit account opening, and then there's the Encino platform, which the applications were built on. So all the app, uh, so the platform helps take care of business process automation, so sort of the workflow for the banks, and then uh, compliance and risk management, and then there's the 360 client view and reporting, and then lastly is their Encino IQ. This is... Uh, it's new though, right? It's like launching this fall. Correct. I think it's launched. They uh, said it's like, so. or maybe it's in beta. They were mentioning on the conference call that it's okay. like either very early days or about to launch. Okay, so this is basically their AI, so their artificial intelligence slash machine learning tool, and financial institutions can add this to their subscription. Uh, basically, you can scan documents and immediately extract important data. Um, they can automate loan originations and stuff like that. Basically, all the good things that artificial intelligence could do. The the banking interns are like, wow, they are they uh, coming for my entire job here? Yeah, <laughs> it feels like they might be removing some of the banking so, employees. Some of the grunt work, yeah. Right. Uh, but a little bit about the history. Encino was actually started by two bankers in 2011 at one of the uh, top small business loan originators in the country. The two bankers are Chip Mahan and Neil Underwood. And this is why they really they really advertise their slogan, built by bankers for bankers. So um, basically they were working for a bank and they were like, how can we automate this process? And I guess they were developers as well. And they did that. Um, Encino is now headquartered in Wilmington, North Carolina, and they have some big name customers like Barclays, TD Bank, SunTrust, but then they also serve the smaller regional banks as well as credit unions. Uh, the CEO is Pierre Naudet. I might be getting that wrong. I believe he's from South Africa, and he has been there since the founding, yet he owns only 1.6%. So okay. here's what I'm taking away from this. It looks like they struggled to get funding initially. Um, They had a $9 million friends and family round early on, and I'm sure it's a little daunting for a lot of VCs or seed investors to say, yeah, we're going to go in, sell to the biggest banks in the world, and uproot their entire operating system. That seems like a tall task. So, uh, sorry, Uh, Jeffrey Horing is a representative or a managing director at Insight Partners. That's a venture capital firm. They now own 46.6% of the shares outstanding, and they got that ownership at $8 a share. Wow. 
So I have to imagine they got pretty favorable terms at some point when Encino needed the money uh, because right now shares are what, 77 bucks? Yeah, 77 bucks. They just IPO'd this summer. And that kind of indicates to me that they're a low float stock right now because I'm sure that that half of those shares that are owned by that VC is in the lockup period. So it'd be um, if I held the stock right now, I'd be worried that when the volume, you know, or sorry, when the lockup period ends, um, Inside Partners is likely going to want to sell all their shares or the majority of their shares to give it back to their partners for profits because they've probably been waiting for five, six years. Um I don't and know. That that worry me if I was, but that it, I, it doesn't guarantee it's gonna. They happen. were the first VC in on Encino, so they got like whatever it is, forty seven percent, basically yeah. at the price they probably chose. And then two years later, Bessemer Venture Partners and I think one other one came in at like two times the price or something. Right. So I've got a feeling Insight sort of uh, exploited Encino at a bad time, but. Now, as shareholders, it looks like they're doing all right. Yeah, they're doing quite well. I'll reiterate all those with this valuation here. They have an enterprise value of about $6.6 billion, ticker NCNO, price $77 or around that. Uh, trailing EV to sales is 39 uh, which everyone knows that's very, very high. EV to gross profit is 70 again, a very high number. And then margin adjusted EV to sales is 139 that's the metric we like to use to kind of include trailing revenue growth. Although when we say this number, it's not a guarantee that revenue growth will stay the exact same. That's probably something that can actually adjust quite a bit um, compared to the other margin metrics. Uh, that's about 140 for Encino right now, which is very, very high. If we look at the average of the companies we do, it's about 50. Um, they have no dividend. That was price to sales, not necessarily EV. EV to so, sales, which is a little different, but... Still, yeah. 140 is um, is expensive. Right. It, uh, yeah. It typically still in the range of 50 to 60. Yeah. And then they have no dividend because they just went public. Uh, you know, shares outstanding are going to be increasing, but really that's just post-IPO. Uh, they have about $330 million in working capital from their IPO funds. Their largest liabilities are deferred revenue, and they have really small amounts of liabilities in general. So it smells to me like a stock that you really don't have to worry about share dilution more, or sorry, you do want to worry about share dilution because that's how they're funding a lot of their operations, but they're not funding it through debt. So it's just the give and take when evaluating the stock. Do you know the share count, what it looks like? Have you, did you read that? Well, I mean, it, it, it went up a lot because of the IPO, so it's hard oh, okay. to tell, but okay. um, their stock based compensation, I believe, Gosh, it was like fourteen million of the revenue last quarter, or the I think first it was six the months. First six months, yeah. First six months, uh, which is sizable number because of what you have here, ninety-three million in revenue. So, pro yeah, around fifteen to twenty percent, which guessing. is high. But in twenty nineteen, it was a lot lower. Um, so there might be some inflated statistics because of the IPO, people you know changing shares when the company goes public. Okay, I'll get into the earnings then. This is for the first six months of the year. They had ninety three point five million in revenue. That's up fifty one point two percent year over year. Seventy nine percent of that revenue is from subscriptions versus professional services. Uh, the year prior, it was seventy one percent subscriptions. Uh, that's good because. The subscription gross margin is 70%, whereas professional services actually has negative gross margins. Wow. And so uh, professional services is basically the onboarding, the implementation, and basically everything you're going through in the sales cycle other than going out and reaching out to the client. I'm sure that goes into under operating expenses, but 
um, sort of customer service implementation, that kind of thing, very low margin. And then they had a negative 19 million in operating income for the first six months or a minus 21% operating margin. Last year they had eight, negative 18.5% operating margin, so going the wrong direction, but they are cash flow positive. They had around 32 million in operating cash flow for the first six months and 29 million in free cash flow. Most of that ad back came from deferred revenue and stock-based compensation. About 40% of operating expenses was spent on R&D, another 40% was spent on sales and marketing. It's basically split equally between those two, and they had nearly $400 million in cash following their IPO. Yeah, not bad, not bad. And we got to hit the ad here, but first we want to talk about our friends at right. Seven Investing. Uh, we've said on every show, but you can get $10 off uh, your first month with the code CCM or using the link in our show notes. Uh, you, that means that your first month is only $7, which we think is a bargain. And if you use this code, it's a way to help us at the show. And it's also a way to help yourself by using yeah. 7 Investing and helping the 7 Investing group. Because and they, they just are, had their new recommendations. They did, yeah. So great timing for that. Uh, yeah, we'll hit the ad break and just make sure to sign up with code CCM. Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one, so you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is... Red color, red color, where are you? <sighs> all blocked, thanks to advanced security, included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. All right, welcome back. Uh, next up is Digging Trenches... So what do you think about the moat rating here, Ryan? I think it's pretty high. I think uh, it's just the nature of their business, the long sales cycles, uh, the customer lifetime value, and how long they stick around for, and just how large their clients are, how long it takes to implement everything across uh, all their branches makes it pretty sticky. Uh, but I also don't have a great grasp on the legacy systems and how sticky those are. Or even yeah. how hard it is to switch. So it's kind of a double-edged sword in that way. But I don't think once people have switched to Encino, they're like, all right, I'm willing to switch again in a year. Yeah, they don't have... So a two? They, yeah, they don't have economies of scale. Um, they may have a network effect just because of all the banks working with each other on the one platform. Uh, but they probably have high switching costs because if they're going onto these giant banks with hundreds of analysts and workers and load, loan originators, things like that, uh, switching to this cloud-based system is probably better than the legacy system. And then if there's nothing even close to being better, or even if there's something that's just slightly better, they're not going to want to leave Encino. It's also not even, it's not the sexiest business in the world. Like a uh, bank operating system isn't really as appealing as some other software companies, I imagine. It's not as exciting. Yeah. So maybe that deters some competitors. Um, and there's also sort of, barriers to entry uh, because a you have to have a foot in the door with big banks and you know it, it's cost intensive to figure out all the regulatory and compliance stuff behind it yeah i'd agree all right uh future sorry further reading what's something that you'd want to look into if you're gonna research uh encino as an investment yeah who does encino have to replace so basically you know you think about the big banks the wells fargo's the uh chase how many i forget the other two 
big four. JP Morgan. JP Morgan. Bank of America. Bank of America uses them, actually. Really? Yeah. Okay, so, I mean, I'm just curious what they use now, how hard it is for them to switch. Um, Like, is this sort of a business where they're like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of thing? Um, If so, that kind of makes the sales cycle a little more cost-intensive for Encino, but on the flip side, it makes them last longer as well as customers. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's just that double-edged sword, long lifetime value for these type of companies, but also they may have to um, have a lot of onboarding costs and a lot of marketing costs. Uh, so that's a give and take. What are you looking for? Uh, my question is, because I worry about whether they're going to run up into not having any customers to go after. So will other financial businesses, you know, funds, investment funds, RIAs, brokerages, um, Financial advisors, uh, would they benefit from using Encino? They say that there's 28,000 businesses that are in their um, target market. Uh, I wonder how many of those they're actually going to be able to get. I know right now they already have 1,200 or something around there, customers. Uh, It just it worries me about that. So that's something I want to research, especially with a valuation hat trailing EBITDA sales of 40. Yeah, and I do. I know that they also reach out to credit unions and smaller regional banks, but I'm curious. Like well, that's said. in the twenty eight thousand for sure. So yeah, yeah. I mean, that is what. How much market penetration do they have? Somewhere around a little less than ten percent. Yeah. All right. Uh, what about future growth opportunities? Okay, they just signed Barclays. Uh, that's a big announcement. That was in mid October, and it's one of the largest banks in the world. Uh, if they become standard at the top twenty or so gigantic banks worldwide, I know there's about four, maybe eight in the United States. So it would kind of be up in that, getting close to a trillion dollars in assets or over a trillion dollars in assets. That seems very valuable. Um, yeah. I don't know what the lifetime value of a customer would be there. What kind of retention they can get. Uh, you know, can they get that expansion? The, you know, the expansion rate they claim is very high, upwards of 140%. So if they can continue that, um, they don't have to land new customers. And if they're at these giant organizations um, and they're saving these analysts so much time, they're saving, uh, you know, just costs from either overhead or just efficiencies with people working. If they're saving a company like upwards of $100 million a year, um, that's very valuable. And they could be end up spending, you know, 50 or so million. Yeah, I'm just thinking about it now. I I imagine like Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan, a lot of those banks throughout their different branches have sort of an in-house operating yeah. system. Yeah, so that could be another thing. And $50 million is a lot higher than what they're likely paying right now. Um, and that's probably way on the high end. But, I mean, it still is very valuable. And it's kind of, I don't know, seems like a, something that could help them drive revenue growth without getting new customers. Yeah, uh, I'm going to talk about Encino IQ. Um, so this is their artificial intelligence slash machine learning program. Um, so if they can get like really solid artificial intelligence for compliance and regulatory automation, that would be huge. According to Thomson Reuters report, compliance costs for financial institutions have increased 13% year over year since 2017. I also spoke to Jason Moser this summer uh, during my internship, and he said he used to work at a bank, if I'm not mistaken, and he said... Uh, having a system where when compliance changes or there's new regulatory rules that get changed and it's automatically uh, updated that's nice. would be absolutely huge. But they also put in their S1 that that sort of thing could attract more competitors because banks are willing to spend a lot for an automated software that automatic, you know, takes care of all your compliance and regulatory needs. 
Yeah, it seems like the value there is it's strong. It seems very, very strong. What about highlights and lowlights? Uh, okay. They're already cash flow positive. I think that's a plus. So they'll likely not need to raise more money. However, all of their operating cash flow comes from stock-based compensation and deferred revenue. Deferred revenue once not bad. It just shows that they're getting more cash coming in than if they're realizing. And if it's a subscription model, this is likely going to stay like that over time unless they stop growing at all. Uh, but the stock-based compensation one, you know, you got to include that in there because it is an expense and it will come back and dilute your shares. So the revenue or cash flow per share will go down over time. Uh, they say they have 147% subscription revenue retention rate thanks to their land and expand. Oh, sorry. That was your note. But I put that <laughs> – I had that I, – I read that as well. I think that's strong. Sorry for taking yours there. Um, but I think that their lifetime value of their contracts are very, very high, maybe 25 to $50 million if they can expand into even more things besides – just that loan origination and analytics, it means the upfront costs are going to lead to high margins down the line. So maybe they have to spend a lot to onboard things like I said before, but that could lead to gross margin expansion and cash flow expansion um, over the next three to five years as the banks solidify themselves as an Encino user. Um, I like that they're on the Salesforce, Salesforce platform um, for marketing. You know, it helps them just double down on that without having to bring on a ton of marketing team. Let Salesforce do that themselves. However, that can probably lower gross margin. Uh, low lights though, we discussed already amount of customers concerns me. Uh, there are less than 5,000 commercial banks in the U S and that number is actually shrinking. So are, you know, is their target market actually going down over time as they're coming up against that ceiling? That's something you really have to consider with this valuation. And then I also had a question of whether they're getting a COVID bump because everyone wants to transfer to cloud-based right now because of the work from home stuff. Is that going to be a temporary bump or a permanent one? Yeah, I didn't see any bump in the numbers. I think uh, revenue growth was sort of consistent across Last yeah, year that means year. are they getting a COVID bump, which means that the numbers aren't as impressive as you might think. Yeah, I know. I'm going to say no on that. And the other part that you touched on there, uh, which kind of goes into my low light, I forgot to write down a low light, but remember when we talked with Matt Cochran and he's like, yeah, I don't think Square uh, is going to be a huge threat to the legacy banks, but it yeah. could hurt the regional banks. I think the number of customers outstanding could come down a lot. Mm -hmm. Um so their sort of target market might decrease. But as far as highlights go, it's a sticky business. Uh, long, the, the customers stick around for a long time and the sales cycle takes six to nine months. So it's not like they're constantly onboarding new clients all the time. It's really tough to do. And if you think about it, you have, if you're a big bank, you have multiple branches across the country. Let's say you you know, you're implementing a new software system for all those branches. You have to have tutorials at every branch showing people how to do it. That's costly. Um, and so it's just, it's more, it, it's a more detailed partnership than just some, some software as a service companies. Yeah. And you have energy of, uh, big commercial offices in yeah. you know New York City, LA, Seattle, San Francisco, all the big, you know, Chicago, you have those all throughout the country um and maybe even internationally. That's something as well. Yeah, they have demonstrated though that the land and expand model that they're offering where they kind of get the customers and then add on all these adjacent products is working. Like you mentioned, they have the 147% subscription revenue retention rate. That's really high and that shows 
that a lot of their banks are using their adjacent products as well. Yeah, and then but that also shows to me that the forty-seven percent of the revenue growth is of that. What was the total? Fifty-two percent. So only five percent of it is from new customers. Yeah, it's great. Forty-seven percent is great. Uh, but how long can they do that? That's something an investor will have to decide. Yeah, and I, I imagine because the new customers are so slow, they're probably getting maybe it's cheaper prices at the start, but also. Yeah. They're not adding – they're not like doubling their customer count in a year. That's yeah. just not the nature of this business. And so it's going to be big clients, long sales cycles, long lifetime value, but they spend a lot of money with them. Yeah, so that retention number may be the most important one for investors to follow. All right, last question before we head out of here. Uh, are you more or less interested in Encino? I, I really do like the business. Um, the, the valuation is hard to get around and – yeah, you know, it's just one of those where you're kind of in the middle ground where you love the business so much, but I guess everyone else does too, and so it doesn't feel like there's much of an inefficiency there. Yeah, feels like a pass great... on it today, but yeah. it's uh, the the it's definitely something that goes on the watch list if there's a drawdown. Probably one of the first ones I'd add to. Yeah, the, I'm definitely less interested solely because of the valuation. 40 EV to sales is high, especially if you are not taking out a giant market opportunity. And you're not growing that revenue that quickly, so the the narrative can turn on you, and you're there's no margin of safety priced into the stock. Uh, I would love that if it ever came down to a trailing EV to sales of ten to twelve, um, that would be fantastic because I think that's where you can get a lot of value here. But that is a long ways away, um, yeah. so it's going to go on the watch list because I think it's a great business. But a lot of people think that everyone thinks it's crazy to be like, well, you know. You're waiting for a 70% drawdown? Like the, yeah, these I things am. happen. I am waiting you know? for that. And I'm sure you could find a lot of SaaS businesses in the range from 10 to 15 EV to sales in March. and uh, Or lower. Or yeah. lower. So I don't know. I don't think it's too crazy to wait. No, definitely not. All right. That's going to do it for this episode. Thank you all for listening. Use our promo code set for 7investing CCM at checkout to get $10 off. Remember, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on this show is not formal advice or a recommendation, email us at chitchatmoneypodcast at gmail.com for any show recommendations or DM us at Twitter at chitchatmoney. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you on our next episode.